Hello everyone, it's Paul. And I'm Kelsey. And this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. It's about how goodness can be a successful strategy for good leadership. Our purpose is to spark positivity and what's possible thinking in leaders like you, so you can radiate goodness today and every day. Our mission is to spread goodness because goodness pays. I'm Paul Botts, the founder and CEO of Good Leadership Enterprises, and today I'm kind of fighting my way through a silly little head cold, so forgive me, forgive my voice, please. This podcast is being recorded in the Aspiration Suite in our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I make my living as an author, executive coach, and professional speaker. And I'm Kelsey Meyer-Shockle. I'm a coach, facilitator, and a mom. You can find out more about us at goodleadership.com, and as always, we invite you to leave ratings, reviews, and comments. So before we get deeper into our podcast, I want to share one of my favorite quotes from Dale Carnegie. He says, do the thing you fear to do and keep doing it. That is the quickest and surest way to conquer your fear. What's also really cool about that is that Megan Myrie from Dale Carnegie is here today with us. Hi, Megan. Hey, Paul. Great to be here today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. So I wanted to bring Megan here on our podcast because some really cool news is that Dale Carnegie is now actually sponsoring our How Goodness Pays podcast, and we couldn't be more thrilled about it. Yeah, we're really excited too. Uh, This morning at the breakfast, Lindsay Riley talked about aligning yourself with good people, and that's really what we feel like we're doing here, and aligning ourselves with the goodness pays message, and knowing that our companies have the same idea of thriving together, and that's why we're sponsoring you. Yeah, well, that really means a lot. Our companies are both in the leadership consulting space, and we sort of have one foot on either side of the railroad tracks. It's really helping people improve their leadership. Not only have you guys helped me by helping sponsor this podcast, but you also help a lot of people through the courses that Dale Carnegie offers. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, of course, Paul. Our courses help people develop hope, confidence, courage, and just better human relationships. And at Dale Carnegie, we really help new leaders empower their team and become more people-focused. Right now, we're focusing on in on our Facebook page the hashtag Live the Principles Challenge, which is really just about living out what we want to be doing by being good people. That sounds so cool. Thanks for being here, Megan. So let's remember my favorite quote of the day from Dale Carnegie, which is, do the thing you fear to do and keep doing it because that's the quickest and surest way to conquer your fear. So I ask you, what fear is holding you back in leading with goodness? Thanks again to Dale Carnegie. Please visit dalecarnegie.com. Today, we're featuring Lindsay Riley from the Good Leadership Breakfast that happened just this morning. Paul, tell us about the Good Leadership Breakfast a little more, please. Yeah, the Good Leadership Breakfast is really part of the signature of our uh, firm, Good Leadership Enterprises. It started way back in 2010. I gathered a small group of friends to talk about goodness and how the seven F's of leadership were sort of alive in all of our lives. And it, it took off like a rocket. We never really intended to keep doing it as long as we have. We've now, this, today was our 69th breakfast. We've sold almost 16,000 tickets and our guests have raised more than a quarter million dollars for charity. What makes it so cool is it's a leadership development event where everyone gets to participate in roundtable discussions and we use the same, some of the same leadership tools we use in our coaching. It's really one of the joys of my life. 
That's awesome. Yeah, you can tell. You can tell when you're up on stage. And you're so thoughtful about who you bring in to speak. So will you tell us a little bit more about why you asked Lindsay to come speak? Yeah, well, today was a special day because it was the Masters Alliance Young Leaders Breakfast. So there were 118 young leaders who came as guests of their mentors. It was just an extraordinary energy in the room. And in thinking ahead about choosing a speaker, um, I kind of tapped into my life outside of work. I'm on the board of directors at Make-A-Wish Minnesota. And Make-A-Wish is all about extending wishes to kids with terminal illness and, and their families as well. It gives them sort of this aspirational pull to get through whatever they're going through. And so I figured it was much better for all the, this group of 118 young leaders to hear a message about goodness from someone that was more their age than for somebody who's like mom or dad. So the people at Make-A-Wish provided Lindsay Riley, who is a was a wish kid. So she came in at 29 years of age with a real spark in her eye and a spunky attitude, and uh, she was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So what was the one thing that really kind of stuck out in your mind about uh, Lindsay? You, you were a consumer in the audience just like that, and she's actually closer to your age than mine. <laughs> she is. Um, gosh, I walked away thinking, could we sit down and have coffee? <laughs> she probably doesn't have time for that. She's a busy lady. But um, she, her heart was so evidently kind and good. She talked so much about goodness and you, she radiated it. She did. Yeah. And I, all I could think of was, man, do I want to coach her? Because I think she's going to the top of the food chain here. So, um, well, let's get, get right into it. Uh, let's start with our very first clip of listening to the opening of how Lindsay Riley introduced herself. So growing up, you know, some people might have called me an overachiever. And not because I perfectly excelled at everything that I did, but because I occupied like six or seven personas at once, all with Olympic intensity devoted to them. I was the nerd in science class who asked the teacher for more homework and tests. Yeah, that girl. Uh, I was the artist who spent hours and hours each week practicing my violin or uh, chasing the grace of ballerinas. I was the athlete who took competitive swimming as seriously as Katie Ledecky. And uh, I even flexed my leadership muscles when I became the student council president and I presided over issues like should we or shouldn't we have a talent show this year. Uh, you know, so I'd like to think that the pinnacle of my life is yet to be achieved, but it'd be impossible not to acknowledge that I might have peaked in early 2001 when I was in the sixth grade. <laughs> okay, so let's just jump right into it. I mean, I'm telling you what, I knew girls like that who were just absolute gunners, and I did. You know what? They were the girls that not very many other girls liked, for sure. <laughs> um, what, what made me laugh about this so much is that this week, I had two coaching engagements with really powerful women. One woman CEO of a hospital, one president of a food company, and they're still living this life today. <laughs> they have multiple personalities talking about all the things they're trying to keep up and they're trying to get an A in everything. And it just, just made me laugh. She thinks she's growing up, but I'll bet she's still going to be like that when she's our age. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. It was, it's so fun to hear her paint that story. And you get such a good sense of who she is coming into this. So in order to do honor to Lindsay's story, we really need to listen to her talk about what her transition was like from being this vibrant young girl and surviving a life-threatening illness. Let's listen now. I was a powerful type A 12-year-old from the Arizona desert with my eyes set on greatness, a train just beginning to build momentum. But over time, I could feel that engine slowing. I was tired all the time, I was physically bruised, and just didn't feel well. Paler than average, which for me is ghostly white. Uh, <laughs> 
And after weeks of losing steam, uh, that train finally derailed, and uh, all my high-minded plans for the future spilled to the ground and were ruined in the face of more severe immediate challenge. I found myself not fighting for a future filled with Olympic dreams or point shoes, but simply in a battle for the next day, fighting against a life-threatening illness. But for me, this story has a happy ending. I stand before you a healthy adult, a wife, and a mother of two beautiful children. With the help of an incredible medical team, a community that rallied behind me, and a family who dropped everything to support me, I found triumph over disease. But the journey was arduous, and it left a permanent mark on my life. See, a child who faces death at such an impressionable age is given an intimate look at the concept of our own human mortality. And it's impossible to leave that experience the same kid that you once were. And while there are times when darkness clouded my world, my journey is also filled with stories of warmth and compassion and hope. It's from this experience that I learned what true goodness is. That true goodness isn't found in the number of awards you win or how great your grades are, how awesome your job title is. That true goodness is in how you conduct yourself in the face of a challenge and how you rise to an occasion to serve others. Goodness is in realizing that every person has a unique role to play and figuring out how we can utilize each other to better serve humankind. There are times where my illness really seems like a curse, but I do really consider myself lucky in so many ways. One of those ways is to have witnessed the impact that goodness and leadership can have on the lives of those around you. But this isn't a story about individual triumph over a momentary struggle. I'm not here to talk to you about the importance of grit when you're faced with a challenge. Of no doubt, dogged determination and perseverance are both critical to accomplishing one's goals. But there are plenty of TED Talks, motivational speeches, and other books out there that can talk to this topic more eloquently than I can. In truth, I have found, my experience has shown me that uh, goodness is equally, if not more important than grit. For there really are no self-made successes in this world. And to label yourself as, as such is to ignore the important roles that goodness and good people have played in your life. That was certainly true for me as a kid. It's true in my career development now, and it's something that I hope to be for others in the future. But for now, let's go back and let's take a look at how my story unfolded. In the summer of 2001, I was diagnosed with a life-threatening blood disorder called aplastic anemia. And aplastic anemia is essentially a failure of the bone marrow to produce any life-sustaining cells. What that means is there's no more oxygen-carrying red blood cells, no more infection-fighting white blood cells, and no more blood-clotting platelets. This explained why I was tired all the time, why I was physically bruised, and just didn't really feel well either. There are several different ways to treat this disease and to kickstart the body into creating new cells again. One of the best options is called a bone marrow transplant. Just like any other organ transplant, a bone marrow transplant requires a donor who matches their, whose cells match the recipients close enough that the body doesn't tag their cells as foreign and start attacking. Um, I mentioned earlier that I consider myself lucky in many ways. Uh, and one of those ways is that one of my two brothers was actually an identical match to me and was able to be my donor, which made a bone marrow transplant the best option uh, and potentially a curative treatment for me. So in late summer of 2001, just as my friends were all getting ready to go to seventh grade, my mom and I, we packed our bags and moved to Tucson, Arizona to prepare for my treatment. My dad and my brothers stayed back home in Phoenix. 
I won't dwell on the difficulties of my experience there, uh, but on August 31st, 2001, I received my life-saving treatment. My medical team and my family were very quick to call this my new birthday, and it's still a day that we celebrate every year. Within a month, I was discharged from the hospital and on my way to recovery, and within two months, I was back home in Phoenix. I'm lucky again to have had a relatively fast recovery, free of complications, um, which is in part due to advances in science and medicine, but more likely, it's attributed to the outpouring of support that I received from family, friends, community, and even perfect strangers. The Child Life volunteers, my medical team, other families in the hospital, and the organizations like the Make-A-Wish Foundation were, uh, were uh, even more important to me um, on my road to recovery. Within a year, I was considered fully recovered um, and no doubt had a different perspective on life than I had before. I'd been so moved by the devoted acts of good that I witnessed while a patient in the hospital. The medical professionals, doctors, nurses, social workers proved to be inspirational on every level. They were intelligent, they were caring, committed, and compassionate as well. But it's not just members of my healthcare team that were inspirational and inspired me to carry on. The Make-A-Wish Foundation supported my family and uh, gave us a reprieve from the struggle as well. My community back in Phoenix hosted fundraisers and blood drives and brought meals for my family while they were away. Witnessing this outpouring of support showed me that when people pursue goodness, lives change. Well, there we have it. That's the meat of the message. I challenged all the young leaders in the audience to really think about the twists and turns that are going to happen in their lives and that everything's going to turn out okay if they respond with goodness. And she just said it, you know, when you respond with goodness, lives change. I, I, I thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's um, Her commentary around goodness versus grit really stuck out to me both as a parent and a leadership coach because grit's something that has been has a lot of um, airwaves right now, and I think it is a wonderful thing. But to, to recognize that without goodness, where does that really take you? The other thing is I felt like her, she talked about this sense of like the goodness of other people for her and to her, and through that you see her gratitude, and the way that those work together to create more goodness was really powerful. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think of the grit concept as something that's intensely personal, that I'm going to hang in there no matter what. Mm. But the goodness concept is a kind of a plural concept mm. that says, I believe that we can thrive together. And so particularly as we've been diving deeper into this subject and finding people like Lindsay to talk about it, it's this idea that it's others focused is goodness. And I just can't, she just was, um, she was mesmerized me, mesmerizing, excuse me. I, for someone her age to have that kind of poise and to be able to stand and talk about that, I, I particularly, because I knew a little bit more about the understory up until this moment in time, she's really not wanted to talk about her journey and her experience as a wish kid. And I think we convinced her in asking her to speak that that's part of her currency and that she can really grow a career based on the fact that she's been through this. So I was really proud of her, too, almost like her dad. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, one of the other um, pieces, and it kind of ties to the, the experience she had, it directly ties, is this idea of a new birthday. I thought that was really interesting because so often momentous events, those life-changing events, so often they're negative. And how, um, how amazing to think that we could actually choose to label a day as a new birthday or a new starting point and celebrate the positive, momentous life events. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I feel like I had a new birthday, and that was that time I came from this long line of entrepreneurs. So when I decided to quit my job at the other firm and start my, uh, my own firm, that was October 31, 2009. That was my new birthday, and here I am at 55 feeling like a 35-year-old kid. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Good. Well, let's transition now. Um, she talked a little bit about her journey through college and what, that, what her life was like you know, post-college. So let's, let's listen to that. After graduating college, I took a job in clinical research where I could marry my clinical EMT skills with my love of unanswered questions. I studied for the MCAT and started my medical school applications. And I was ever ready to show admissions committees and myself that I was destined to become a doctor. But in the back of my mind, I started realizing how much I loved my job. And I started questioning whether or not this was the right path for me. Was this what I was destined to do, I asked, given my history and my path until now? Or was I putting meaning into a situation and forcing my future to make sense of my past? Despite these questions, I pushed on. I applied to medical school and invested in myself and my career as well. Eventually, I was offered a job in Minneapolis with Medtronic, an offer that I accepted. And my husband and I moved to the land of 10,000 frozen lakes. <laughs> <laughs> I was proud to have been offered this position and excited to see where it may lead, but I still fundamentally believed that my role to making a difference in this world would be as a physician. I was chasing what I had believed would be my destiny, the best and perhaps the only way for me to live a life dedicated to serving others. Becoming a physician certainly felt like the thing that I should do. It felt like the accumulation of my experiences, my academic achievements, my extracurricular activities had built this unstoppable momentum towards this goal. There were decades of self-made pressure sitting on my shoulders, pushing me forward, even if my heartstrings were pulling me in a different direction. And then one day, it hit me. That unconscious hesitation, once hidden in the depths of my mind, bubbled to the surface. And I asked myself, can choosing what we want to do bring about more goodness in this world than what we think we should do? I had always assumed my role would be a physician, but honestly, it never felt quite good, and I struggled a lot of the way on that path. And I realized, how could I possibly do good for others if I don't first feel good about what I'm doing? With Medtronic, I was connected to the work that I was doing, and I was inspired by the company's mission to uh, help their patients and create technologies that alleviate pain, restore health, extend life. I realized that I could do good work without the uphill battle that had plagued much of my pre-med life, and that success in a business setting and service to a noble cause are not mutually exclusive ideas, and that companies are made up of lots of people doing good work, and they can make a difference in this world, too. So after intense deliberation, I withdrew my med school applications, all 32 of them. <laughs> and uh, what I had thought would be a nerve-wracking decision actually brought me profound peace. Don't get me wrong, I still questioned whether or not I was making a huge mistake, and maybe I still am. Uh, but for the first time, it felt like a piece of the puzzle had snapped into place. I stopped forcing something, stopped trying to plan for the next right thousand decisions, and just focused on the next one, and started letting things happen and focusing on the next right decision. In turn, I invested in myself and in new pursuits at Medtronic, always pushing for new challenges, new assignments, and new learnings. And what I found is that by pursuing excellence in even the most mundane of tasks at times, 
More and more projects with bigger impacts were at my fingertips, and I was gaining recognition from executives that I wasn't sure ever even knew my name before. When I was able to connect the work with goodness, it was more fun than I thought it could be. I was able to travel and had the flexibility to start a family, which are both important things for my personal development as well. Wow, as compelling as her health journey is, there's some part of this story that strikes even deeper for me because it's something we all struggle with is what to listen to when you're making these big decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting how um, we look at them now as big decisions. Uh, she advocated earlier in the conversation for just thinking about them as decisions mm -hmm. <laughs> so you don't get too wound up in it. But yeah, you know, I, I think at the heart of what we do as executive coaches is to really help people be accountable for to listening to that insight that's happening in their head. I know that I thought about starting my own firm for five years. And it, I, it, it caused lots of stress in my life to be listening to that dialogue in my head and not doing it. Um, I also think it's fascinating. The word should is one of those coaching triggers. When you say to people, hey, really, why did you just use that word? Are you, you must be trapped by some expectation. Is it yours or someone else's? But if we're making decisions based on should, it puts an extra kind of energy in it that seldom is good. Yeah, so I thought that was fascinating. Um, what else comes to mind when you listen to her sort of her corporate story? Yeah, I love, so um, there's a couple pieces. So this idea of unstoppable momentum, and I mean, I think we, I, a lot of us have experienced that in different places in our lives, but what are the things that she did to help her back out of that? In her case, it sounds like the voice inside got louder and louder and louder. And like you said, as coaches, we sometimes get to help people do that. Um, but also the courage it takes to listen to that voice is amazing, I think. And it shows up for people, it shows up in your professional life and your personal life. Yeah, I can just imagine her getting in her mind what she thought probably was a B plus at Medtronic mm -hmm. because in the back of her mind, she kind of knew she was going to go to med school. Yeah. But when she finally let that go, she channeled all of that, you know, Olympic intensity into getting an A at Medtronic <laughs> right, right. and a whole bunch of the world opened up. And yeah. so I think that's just a simple lesson for all of us Absolutely. that we, if we pursue things open-hearted with, you know, full commitment that that's what grows in our lives. And and with the humility, I love the line she said, you know, maybe I was making a huge mistake, maybe I still am. Yeah. You know, that that's reality too. We don't step into something new and all the doubt just dissipates. She talked about having a sense of peace, but at the same time, there's that openness to what's next, which leads me to the other thing I thought was so compelling about that part. She talked about making the next right decision. And Paul, I wanted to throw that out to you because I think there, that can feel paradoxical to some of the work we do sometimes, which is this bigger picture visioning. I see how those two live together, but I want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, um, <clears throat> I believe that you need to have a very compelling aspiration that will help you sort of measure success by a certain moment in time. And that I think that in our subconscious minds, I like to call it my quiet mind, that I'm making decisions all the time that lead me towards that. And sometimes I, I don't even understand why that decision is leading me towards that. But without that vision out there, a what by when, I think you can meander a lot. And I think that she, her member, her aspiration was to be in such a way that she could help people on their health journey. And she thought it was through med school. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if 10 years from now we're coaching her as a president of a division at Medtronic. Yeah. Yeah, so that's fantastic. Well, let's listen to the last segment here. She talked about her own sort of career development path. I think especially for the younger listeners here, it's a good time to really tune in. 
My career development has never followed a perfect linear path. It's always taken different turns and curves. I've always managed what it, to find what it is I like about the current job I'm doing and do more of that. Some of the best advice I received early on in my career is to align yourself with good people, leaders who are gonna take you somewhere. And looking back, I feel that this is a fundamental truth in career development, that working with good people, leaders, mentors, colleagues, is almost more important than the work that you will do. Because when you work with good leaders who value their position in lifting up their teams, they will move mountains to give you the opportunities that you want, and you, in turn, will devote even better excellence in your performance with them. I believe the world needs people that are devoted to doing good. But too often, we assign extraordinary circumstances to goodness and expect that anybody can meet this impossible standard. I believe this is why it seems that goodness is waning in the world. We equate goodness with high stature, high achievement, and, then, and near miracles. And then we wonder why it isn't a more frequent occurrence in our life. In this world, with the constant stream of information, it's understandable why we neglect the good that occurs in our lives. But I believe you don't have to look that hard to realize that goodness likely surrounds you every single day. It isn't always a noble beacon or a shining, bright act. Sometimes it's in the small things. Maybe it's a teammate who steps in and asks you, how can I help when you seem to be overloaded or overallocated with work? Maybe it's your employee who takes initiative, goes above and beyond your expectations of them. Maybe it's staying up late with your wife, practicing her speech over and over and over again. <laughs> or maybe it's just driving a friend to the airport so they can save a bit of cash. My point here is that goodness has different layers and different amplitudes. Acts of goodness have a ripple effect in the universe, with the larger and larger circles starting to collide with smaller ones. And for this reason, any act of goodness is worth it, for it's impossible to know the downstream impact that that act will have. Working with good people, I could not resonate with that more. That's one of the things um, when I counseled younger people coming out of college was to focus on that. We get so hung up on what's the job title, what's the area, what's the industry, and recognizing you can find joy and add meaning in any place if you are around other people who are invested in it with you. Yeah, and I think thinking about the people you're working with actually is a long view. If you're only thinking about is what I'm working on right now going to make help my resume? That that is that's the thinking that can kind of get you stuck, in my opinion. Um, I really resonated with how she equated goodness as something that's sort of heroic, and um, I I believe that the temptations of greatness are one of the things that actually sends some people down a really bad path. I mean, I could name countless people in the news media and celebrities that we've read about who wanted to be the greatest ever and did really silly things that landed them in jail or got them in big trouble in the media. And, you know, we've espoused this idea that we believe the path to greatness is actually paved by good leaders who are radiating goodness day after day after day. And that that sum total is what we look back on our lives and say, wow, that was great. So I'm, I'm really grateful for her maturity. I don't wish that every 29-year-old could go through a life-threatening illness, but it's obvious that she really advanced her life a lot by that experience, by learning from it, and by committing to this idea that goodness pays. Absolutely. Okay, Kelsey, so we're done listening to Lindsay now. What's the one most important thing you think you took away from this? Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest thing for me was listening to that inner voice. So. How about for you, Paul? 
I love the idea that goodness is more important than grit. Um, I'll say it again. I, I think grit has a lot to do with our ability to hang in there and to never give up. And I think that that is honorable and really important in, in a life well lived. However, it's internally focused. And what we're learning by studying leaders who radiate goodness is they're externally focused. They're others oriented. And for her to stand up there and give credit to all of these people who helped on the journey, that is an amazingly mature, selfless way to think about it. And those are the types of leaders that people really want to follow. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, Well, so here we are. What's the final phrase that we want everyone to remember when they spend time with us at the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast? Well, it's, of course, that goodness pays. How about you, Kelsey? Goodness pays. And from Lindsay? Goodness pays. Thank you all. Yeah, thank you very much for investing the time in listening to this podcast. We really appreciate it. We do really do want your comments. Please leave any comments or reviews. And if you like what you heard, please share it with other people. That would really help because we're all in it together. Our mission is to spread goodness through good leaders. Thank you very much and carpe diem. Seize the day.